You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating with Rachel Heinemann. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and certified eating disorder specialist. On this weekly podcast, we talk about all things psychoanalysis and eating disorder recovery. It's a combination of interviews with experts in psychoanalysis and eating disorders and some solo episodes where it will just be the two of us. The goal of the podcast is to help you try to understand a little bit more about yourself, gain a deeper understanding for why you do the things you do, and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. Hey, 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 episode 84. This episode is actually a bit of a follow-up to a recent episode that we did on emotional eating. Most of that episode was about emotional eating when it happens in the context of boredom or just like snacking all day and not specifically in an overall relationship toward food that feels highly emotional. So when somebody says, I have emotional eating, it was more so focused on what to do in a moment of or a day of emotional eating. Now, I think it's important to talk about this in particular, because I think a lot of you are going to resonate with it. So a lot of the episodes, we talk about more of the quote, serious eating disorders and what happens with anybody who is struggling with a significant eating disorder. And what we sometimes neglect to talk about is most of you that struggle with what we call, quote, disordered eating. So now that I say this, we can just go on a little bit of a tangent, like what's the difference between an eating disorder and disordered eating? And there's a couple of differences, but I think in my mind, the biggest differentiator is the level of distress that your relationship with food causes you. So number one, that's a little bit more obvious is how severe, almost objectively, are the symptoms? Is your restrictions something that you're just sort of like cutting out food groups or sometimes meals or snacks or a certain time of day? Or is it the kind of thing where you're almost eating nothing? Or same with the binging, same with the purges. How frequent is it? Is this happening multiple times a day or is it happening once a week? Two very different stories. You know, just to sort of clarify, I'm not differentiating any of this to say that one is more valid than the other. I'm just saying, you know, when we're asking what the difference is between disordered eating and an eating disorder. So number one is, I would say, is the severity of the symptoms. And in the severity, I mean frequency as well. The second thing that I think is a little bit less objective, and to me as a clinician, probably more important, is the level of distress that it causes you. And I think the reason why I say that this is more important is probably for the most part, because people don't really pay attention to this. This goes for really any diagnosis that happens in the DSM. Part of what makes it a diagnosis is that it causes an impairment on functioning and distress. So it impacts your relationship. It impacts the way that you're working or not working, able to function in this world, getting up out of bed, doing what you need to do as whatever you are, as an employee, as a mom, as a daughter, as a son, as a as an insert whatever role here, if it impairs your functioning. And then the other piece is the level of distress that only you know how much it impacts you. So the kind of thing where when people struggle with any form of disordered eating or an eating disorder, there's a certain level of obsessions that you just sort of stay stuck in your head. You're doing calculations, how many calories, how many grams of whatever it is, And it's 
so annoying. It's really distressing to stay in your head that way. Nobody knows that, but you know, and you know to what extent that's affecting you. So just to recap, the difference between the in-eating disorder and disordered eating is the level of severity slash frequency and how it impacts your functioning and how much it distresses you. All of those, I would say, are usually not quantifiable, if you will. I mean, the DSM really tries to do that, but I don't, I don't really think that that's the case. I think that it's basically subjective up to the clinician that you're seeing. So that's just for those of you who come in and say, I was diagnosed with an eating disorder. I was diagnosed with XYZ. And yeah, that's a, that's a good gauge, but know that the next person might actually diagnose you different. So it's not really the same thing as a medical diagnosis where you have some sort of numbers in front of you and it's pretty obvious. There is a lot of wiggle room, I would say, with this. But the reason why I'm saying that here is because this comes into play when it when we talk about different eating disorders and you know the main ones are anorexia, bulimia and binge eating, but that ultimately most people fall under the category of other specified. So there's OSFED, it used to be EGNOS, which is eating disorder not otherwise specified. Now it's OSFED, other specified feeding and eating disorder, whatever acronyms ridiculous, but point being that between the OSFED category and disordered eating is a very vague line open to interpretation. So what I want to focus on today is the binging that we can either swap out emotional eating or binging because it just really depends on what someone has chosen to call it with a straight up binge eating disorder diagnosis. It's the DSM definition of a binge, which is mostly, and this is like super, super boiled down, mostly that you eat a whole bunch of food in a shorter period of time, and there's a lot of shame around it, and you feel really out of control and usually way past fullness. So again, super simple version of the official diagnosis, but for all intents and purposes, I the things that stand out to me is the eating past fullness out of control parts. But what if somebody doesn't necessarily identify with, you know, the idea of going out, buying food, or raiding the cabinets, having a 63-minute binge, and then, you know, starting the whole cycle again, where it's very distinct periods of binge eating, like a binge eating episode. But there's still something very binge-y about what they're eating. And I think that when we focus on something like binge eating disorder, which happens to be a very, very common diagnosis, probably more so than anorexia and bulimia combined. I mean, this is anecdotal. I'm making up these numbers just from my experience as a clinician, but it's a lot more common than the other specific eating disorders that we you know, give so much airtime to. But even binge eating disorder diagnosis really doesn't account for a large majority of people that either don't meet, quote, criteria for binge eating disorder but still feel like they binge. And I would say that there's this constant overeating and just sort of play around with me when I use that word, constantly eating past fullness. You're constantly feeling out of control, like every single meal, every single snack. And it happens multiple times throughout the day. So it's not like a distinct binge episode, but it's just every time you sit down to eat, it feels bingey. And it's not just, oh, it's finals time. So this week I'm extra bored. 
it's, this is your entire relationship with food and you can't seem to stop. Now I'm not saying that this happens every single day, but it's the vibe. It happens with breakfast. It happens with lunch. It happens with dinner. And maybe we actually incorporated a lot of what we talked about here on the podcast, where you have three meals and two to three snacks, because that's what you're quote supposed to do. But it's hard to know when to stop, or it's hard to know what a portion is for you. And you're just always feeling like it's too much. You're way full and it's so, so out of control. Like you can't control it. What I think is also important to note here is that somebody who struggles with this type of binge eating, there's tons of obsessions. There's tons of calculations happening. You're counting calories, you're counting grams, you're on your smartwatch, or do we still use Fitbits these days? I don't know. You're tracking all the time. The obsessions are real. And going back to the definition of disordered eating versus eating disorder, the distress that your relationship with food causes is tremendous. You can't not focus on food. You can't not think about it. You can't be okay around food. You can't just have one or two slices of pizza at a party. You can't just have a salad. It has to be like bigger than the serving that you feel is comfortable for you. And it's not like your dietitian is telling you to eat more and you feel uncomfortable. This is something that just, it feels so out of control. And what's really interesting here is that very often when I work with people who identify with this form of binge eating, it's usually quote healthy foods. You know, I love that term, but I know that you know what I mean by that when we use this sort of like universal way of quote healthy foods, that it's usually that you're eating cereal for breakfast, but instead of having however many bowls you would normally have, you would have an extra like two because you just can't stop. Or you're having a salad with chicken and sweet potatoes and avocado and dressing and all that stuff, but you're having way more than you feel comfortable with and you cannot stop. You don't know how to. There's a couple of things that are important to keep in mind. Number one, and I would say this a million times over, know that this binge eating or emotional eating, whatever you want to call it, is just as much of an issue than anything else, than any other relationship with food, than any other eating disorder. It is time while you're listening to this, it is time right now to get help. Just because you don't officially meet criteria for binge eating disorder or bulimia doesn't mean that it's not already a huge problem. Doesn't mean that you don't get help for it. Doesn't mean you don't work with a dietitian. Doesn't mean you don't work with a therapist. Doesn't mean you have to get worse in order to tackle the issue. It already is. And then to keep in mind that it doesn't always have to be like this. I know that it feels that way very often. Like, how can I possibly get out of this? But you do not have to feel uncomfortably full after every single time you eat. It is not going to be like that forever. I think what's really, really important to start thinking about if you're the kind of person who struggles with this are a couple of different things. One thing that stands out to me is this theme of finishing your plate. So you might be the kind of person who looks around the dinner or the lunch table, especially when you're eating out, and notices that so many people are able to stop eating whenever they're full and they leave something over on their plate. That might be something absolutely insane to you. How do you not finish the plate? So I think what's important about noticing this is trying to understand from where this stems. So who said that you have to finish your plate? What happens if you don't? What's the history behind it? 
And what would you feel if you left something over? For so many people, you know, of course, at this point, it's become habitual, but there's so much history, so much that we can learn about their own relationship with food, their family's relationship with food, their families attributing culture and connection and love to food that has everything to do with finishing your plate. So I would encourage you to think about that piece. The next question that I think is really important to think about is what's your relationship like with hunger? Because it's the kind of thing that you probably more often feel full than hunger. Because if you have this sort of way of thinking, I must eat all three meals and two or three snacks, but you're constantly eating way past what your body has the capacity to tolerate, or at least it feels that way, then you're very rarely getting hungry. And I would encourage you to think about what is your fear of feeling hungry? What would it be like to be hungry? And yes, you might say that would be amazing. I never feel hungry. I would love it. But perhaps there's a little bit more there. Perhaps there's something that you're avoiding, that you're afraid of, or that you just have some stuff with hunger and fullness. Another important point here is intuition. So I know that we talk about intuitive eating a lot, and especially Avalyn Tribbley and Elise Rush's book about intuitive eating. So of course, if you haven't read it, I always think it's like a solid foundation and you would get a lot out of reading it. But I think what ends up happening is that people then focus on the word intuitive. So are you feeling hungry? Are you craving this? Well, no, then don't do it. And I think obviously intuitive eating is a lot more complex than that. But part of what happens with somebody who struggles with this binge E eating is that there isn't that much room for intuition. It's like, okay, it's breakfast time. I guess I got to eat. I guess I'll eat this whole thing. As opposed to, okay, it's breakfast time. And maybe I do have to eat now because I have back-to-back meetings the whole morning. But maybe today I'm not hungry for the same breakfast that I had yesterday. Maybe I'm not hungry for the whole thing. Maybe I want to try something else and I want to play around with how much of it I eat. So I guess what I'm suggesting here is that there is something about the timing and what the plate looks like to somebody who struggles with this that is an indicator of when and how much you should eat and potentially what you should eat that is completely disregarding what your body wants, if you know, and what it's the cues that your body is telling you. So I guess this is the opposite side of where somebody is so out of touch with what their body wants or needs that we try to bring a little bit in. And I'm not saying the antidote to this is listen to your body's cues and then just do it because obviously that's impossible. That's why we have the entire phase of working with a dietitian and relearning how to eat. And then you can incorporate the intuition. So I'm by no means saying that anybody with any form of an eating disorder or honestly really even disordered eating that should jump into intuitive eating without doing a period of restoration and learning how to nourish your body in a way that your body actually needs. So not jumping the gun here, but eventually incorporating a lot more intuition because what you're in essence doing is completely disregarding your cues. So part of the question, and and again, here to circle back to my MO with not necessarily just practical tips, but what's underneath it is, do you trust yourself? Can you trust your intuition? But expanding from intuition is just your gut with anything with decisions. Is it hard for you to make decisions? 
Why can't you trust yourself? Do you even know what your gut is or what your intuition is? Do you constantly have to ask people? And if you do, then what stops you from being able to trust yourself? What's the history with that? Who made you feel like you can't trust yourself? And of course, if somebody is eating constantly and not necessarily feeling hungry, then here's the question again, the golden question. What are you hungry for? What is missing in your life? What would you like to have in your life? What are you craving that is not an actual piece of food? That's not a physical hunger. So what I'm hoping for is that even if you resonated with absolutely nothing in this episode, but just the fact that if this is you and you have a bingy feel to your relationship with food, know that it is an issue today and you probably should get help for it today. As always, if you know somebody who might also resonate with this, share it out. Let them listen. Have you be the starting point of the conversation. Have them trust you and have a conversation with each other. Of course, I always welcome conversations with me, but talk amongst yourselves. And I really, really hope that we can start shedding light on this more disordered eating side of bingy eating disorder. I like that. I'll coin the term bingy eating disorder. And so, so many more people might feel heard as opposed to silenced in their obsession and disordered eating ways. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.